Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to the fathers. I'm a, a new proud member of the club, so I'm feeling pretty good this morning. <laughs> All right. A couple of announcements for us this morning. Um, first off, uh, there will be no fellowship meal uh, after the service, so um, take those fathers out somewhere nice, get them some food right after the service, uh, but you're free to stay around and fellowship a little bit, of course. Um, we do have nursery available, and it goes all the way up to seventh grade uh, during the service, um, so just so we're all aware of that, of course. Uh, we have our regular Wednesday uh, activities. We have Touchpoint at 9 a.m., and at 6 p.m. we have the Amplify Youth Group. Uh, there's no kids' activities this week, though, but there is men's group. Uh, a couple of upcoming events uh, on Monday, at Mondays at 6 p.m., we do have a women's Bible study here at the church. You can talk to, what's that? 6.30, at 6.30. Um, talk to Joan, uh, Joan Pomp for more details on that. Please come. Uh, we do have, yeah, I was handed a, uh, a reworded version of this, so I have to hold this up here. Um, Susan Pender from our church is going with seven others on the Aglow Transformation Ministry Team to Point Hope, Alaska on June, from June 23rd to the 30th. Uh, donations are welcome for VBS supplies. Uh, you can give donations in cash or a check to Susan Pender. Visit the Welcome Center desk after church and talk to Susan uh, for more details. Uh, and we have a video for the youth camp this year. Uh, that the youth will be going to, and that's just here in, uh, uh, over at Camp Delwater, and so we can run that quick. to that. If you're interested, you can talk to Zach Binder about that. Uh, wonderful opportunity for teens. Uh, and one more thing here. Uh, on July 1st, uh, we have Love Cradle International is putting together a silent auction and a dessert evening, uh, The Taste of Ukraine, to support the Ukrainian refugee program. Um, if you want to help, consider volunteering and be part of the team. Uh, it'd be much appreciated. And the contact is there on the screen. Um, this morning I just had a, a quick thought for us on Father's Day. Uh, as a new father, uh, I just, I was trying to think about uh, 
What is God like as our Father? How does he show us what it means to be a father in this world? And the verse that came to mind is maybe uh, something that would be a little unexpected. Uh, uh, it says this in Matthew 25, uh, talking about Jesus, says, And the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or naked, or unclothed? When did we see you sick, or in prison, and come to you? And the Lord, King Jesus, will say to them, Assuredly, it is much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Uh, and I think that's a maybe... You wouldn't think of it this way, but I think that's a beautiful picture of the fathership of Jesus, where he has all the right to see himself in the greatest and the biggest and the most powerful and important in this world, but he sees himself reflected, uh, and he tells us to see, start seeing people around us reflecting Jesus in the lowest places, the places that we don't always expect and think about as great or wonderful and powerful. And as fathers, I think we have that same opportunity, don't we? To think of ourselves as the most important, the biggest, the most powerful. But as fathers, we have the opportunity to step down <laughs> to, the, the, <laughs> to what we might say is the lowest level and see eye to eye with someone who is uh, weak, who is small, who is, um, doesn't have all the things right yet. And we lift them up and we take them with us and we hold them close and we say, I'm going to show you what it means to be someone powerful and wonderful in this world, not by being great and mighty over you, but by coming down to your level and meeting you and uh, loving you for who you are, even as a, a wailing little baby. Oh, she's not wailing now, isn't that great? Um, yeah, so just, that's my thought for today. The, uh, the tithe boxes are in the back and I'll just pray over us here quick. Father, we thank you that you are great and wonderful, the powerful cosmic God of the universe who came down to humble himself and show us that fathership is more than just being the most powerful and the biggest, but it means being the most loving, the most caring, the most compassionate person in the lives of our families, in the lives of our communities. You show us what it means to be like that, and we just pray that this year, um, whether we felt like we've been that before as fathers or not, that we would resemble you to our children, to our wives, and to the world at large, what it means to look like you in this world. So we thank you, Jesus, in your name, pray, amen. We're going to welcome Vicki up to the stage. She's gonna share the word of God with us. So give her a hand as she comes on up. Welcome, Vicki. Maybe didn't need my own water bottle. <laughs> Good morning. I have to get used to this light. <laughs> um, first of all, I just want to say happy Father's Day as well to all the fathers here and specifically to my husband. I'm so thankful for just the wonderful model he has been of being a follower of Jesus to our sons. and. I also want to thank the Lord for my own dad who just loved me. He always believed in me. He always wanted the best for me and for our siblings. And so 
Um, fathers are wonderful. Um, they aren't perfect, but we have a perfect father in heaven, and we can all be thankful for that. And so I just want to say thank you to all the fathers. Thank you for the way you pour your lives out for others. And um, there's such an attack on fatherhood today. The enemy has tied so much to distort what the biblical role of a father is. And so I would just like to start by, um, if you could just raise your hand if you're a father. And um, those around you, if you can just you know, lift your hands out toward them, or if you're close enough, put your hands on their shoulders. You can put your hands down now if you've identified who the fathers are. And we'll also pray for you fathers that are out there listening online as well. And I just, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, we just lift up all the fathers. Lord God, we just ask for your protection, Lord, against the demonic attack on their role and who they are. Lord, we just ask that you would give them strength they need to be the role models that you're calling them to be, to be a picture of the Heavenly Father, Lord. And Lord, we're just asking for your anointing to arise upon the fathers, Lord. Those that are following you, Lord, that they would be a model, Lord, of who you are as our Heavenly Father. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So the message that the Lord put on my heart is, ah, this is awesome. I can see the words right up there. <laughs> Asking God to do what he already wants to do and praying faith-filled, word-saturated prayers. And um, I've been, over the last months, I'm kind of a slow reader, um, I've been reading this book by James W. Gold called The Prophetic Intercessor. And that first line of my sermon, I actually got from a statement he made in this book. Um, and it just really grabbed my heart. We were just ready to go to, um, to pray in an unreached city. And it's like, wow, that just felt like the direction the Lord was really giving me to think about and to do was to ask him to do what he already wants to do. And that's a really exciting way to pray, both for ourselves and for others, um, because we're asking God to do the things that he's revealed in his word that he already wants to do. And so it's a partnership sort of prayer. It's like we're working together with him. It's his very words, the things that he has spoken, that we're partnering together with him to see him bring about in the earth and to bring about in our own lives. And if there is any time that we've ever desperately needed to be able to see God's purposes brought about in our own life and in our nation, in our state, in our workplaces, and just all the craziness that's happening in the world today. It's right now. Um, many of you know that, that Adam and I travel to other countries, and we've invested much of our life in praying for unreached um, peoples, unreached cities, and um, and so, <coughs> excuse me, we're prayer walking um, in cities where people have no knowledge of who Jesus is. We're prayer walking in cities where there are actually no known believers, people that have no knowledge of God's forgiveness. They have no hope. They have no, they have no hope that they could be assured of eternal life. 
And so how do you pray when you're in a setting like that? And how do you pray those faith-filled and word-saturated prayers when you're in a situation like that? Well, we also need to know how to pray that for our own lives and how to pray that for our family and how to pray it for the state of Minnesota and how to pray it for the United States of America. And so here's just a few things that Adam and I have shared with teams when we're training them to pray in unreached cities. A key thing is to pray the word of God so we can actually take God's word. His word is full of things we can pray. We can take his word and we can pray it back to him. And that's a super life-giving way to pray. And I just actually want to give you an example. So this isn't just theory, okay? Um, in a recent city that we went to pray for, the Lord had given me the scripture from John 10, 16 about how he has other sheep that aren't yet in the fold. And so um, this is, so the Lord really had me pray this a lot as we were walking the streets of this particular city. And so I'm just going to give you an example of praying his word like this. Lord, you said that you have other sheep that have not yet, that are not yet in your sheepfold. Lord, I'm coming to you on their behalf. Jesus, you've said in your word that you must bring them also and that they too will listen to your voice. Father, I'm just crying out to you in the name of Jesus. Bring them. Cause them to listen to your voice, Lord. You said that you are patient that you're not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So Lord, I'm just standing in the gap right now for the people of the city. And even as I'm just praying this prayer, Lord, I just really am thinking back to that city again, Lord. Father, give them a spirit of repentance. Call your sheep in that city to come to you, Lord, and to listen to your voice in the mighty, awesome name of Jesus. Amen. So there's just one example I mean, you can pray back God's word. Like, it is just, we have an endless amount of things that we can pray. So don't ever worry about running out of things to pray because we've got a whole book full of things to pray. Praying God's word is going to help you build a whole new prayer vocabulary. It's going to give you more things to pray and more ways to pray. And when you pray God's word, something really exciting happens. According to Psalm 103.20, Angels are activated. Okay, and don't take my word for it. Here's what it says. Praise the Lord, you, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, hearkening unto the voice of his word. So angels actually do his bidding. They do his word. That word bidding actually means it's the word word, um, what he's spoken they hearken and they give attention. That means to give attention to something, to obey it, to carry it out. And so when we pray God's word, we're giving the angels something to work with. And that's pretty exciting. <clears throat> when we pray God's word, we're praying his will because his word is his will. Amen. And so we can really have confidence when we're praying his word. Um, you don't need to give God multiple choice prayers like, Lord, if this is your will, do so-and-so. If this is your will, do so-and-so. I mean, we have an abundance of things we can pray with confidence that we don't have to do that. Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So let's do that. Let's not second guess it, whether or not it's God's will. If he says it, it is true. 
And whether or not the facts, what we see with our eyes, line up with it, it's still the truth, and we can pray it with confidence. Remember that God's truth supersedes the facts, the facts of what the doctor may tell you, the facts of what they say about you know, the doom and gloom of what might happen in our city, in our state, in our nation. Despite what the facts say, God's truth supersedes that. It's higher than the facts. I'd like to read to you Romans 4, 19 to 21, and we have a picture. Well, I'm, we're just not making this up, thinking about the facts, right? It says it in the Word. Without, so here's a picture of Abraham and what God says in his Word about him facing certain facts that look pretty challenging. Without weakening in his faith, he, Abraham, faced the fact, since he was about 100 years old, no big deal. And Sarah's womb was also dead, no big deal. Um, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. That promise was that he was going to have a child, okay? He didn't waver in unbelief regarding that promise, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And so when we're praying God's word, we can have confidence that we are praying according to his will. And praying his word is going to bring results. Um, the word says that his word will accomplish what he sent it to do. In Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, it says, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish. I mean, he says this. We're not making this up. He said it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And then Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active. And that word active means operative. And if something's operative, it's going to do something, right? So his word will bring results when we pray it. And it's going to build faith in our heart. Romans 10.17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, when you're praying something out of your mouth and asking God to do something, you're hearing what you're praying, and if you're praying God's word, guess what? Faith is going to arise in your heart. And that's something that, um, I, don't, I don't know how to, hopefully I can put it into words, but like when we've just been praying, you know, I think especially in some of these cities where we're praying that are unreached, um, when we're praying God's word, there's just, just such a sense of like, yes, like the work got done. Because there's just a confidence that when you're praying God's word, it's doing something. He said that it won't come back empty. Uh, <clears throat> with our prayer teams, we like to have times of prayer where we say, where we start out with, with eyes of faith, I see. And then we just begin to declare things. Like, with eyes of faith, I see the church arising in this city. With eyes of faith, I see people laying hands on the sick and then recovering. With eyes of faith, I see this government having a heart 
to serve the people like you said you want to serve us. And so you just kind of get the picture of like, yeah, you can just, and as we're speaking those things out, it's just like faith is arising in our heart, especially as those declarations align with what God says in his word. When you pray God's word, you're praying from his perspective, from his point of view. And our human tendency is to pray from our own point of view, right? To pray from how we're feeling and how we're perceiving things and oftentimes even through eyes of fear. But what if we were just to pray from God's perspective, Lord, help us do that, that our prayers can line up and align with what he says in his word. Um, I need to get a drink here. Oftentimes, God's perspective is quite different from ours. I want to read you a portion of scripture where God really challenged the way a king of Judah saw the situation when an army was coming against them. And so God challenged his perspective. This is Isaiah 7, 1 through 14. This is King Ahaz, who was king of Judah at that time. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king in Judah, King Razan of Aram and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So now this changed the whole situation because now they had a powerful force coming against them. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. So at first the armies couldn't overpower them, but now with this powerful alliance that had been formed against them, their hearts were just really filled with terror. And so the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, Shear Jeshub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. I kind of just want to pause here. This is maybe a little side note, but I think it's something that we can really add to our, our prayer activities in this case. And that's that the name, it's not an accident that God said to take his son, told Isaiah to take his son, Shear Jeshub, with him. His name means a remnant will return. And I believe God was making a prophetic statement about what was going to happen in the future by having him take his son with a very hope-filled name. So God was actually asking Isaiah to do a prophetic act. And that's when we do something along with our prayer that God tells us to do. It's not something you generate up on your own. It's something the Holy Spirit puts in your heart. Um, So it might look insignificant. You know, we probably, I've never actually taken note of that before when I read that passage of scripture. It might seem insignificant or foolish or silly to to do certain things. God has asked us as teams when we're praying in some of these cities to do certain things that, you know, probably seem silly or odd to people. But when we're obedient and we do those things, something's activated in the spiritual realm. So pay attention to that. If God gives you something to do while you're praying his word or while you're out inner city interceding, maybe on the streets of an unreached city along with us. Um, So 
<coughs> Excuse me. So now back to this passage. In verse 4, we notice how God sees Judah's enemies. He says to Ahaz, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these, take note of this, two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Razan and Aram and the son of Ramalia. So God is giving Ahaz his perspective. They were terrified by this alliance that was coming against them. And they perceived these kings as really powerful. But God diminished that perception to two smoldering pieces or stubs of firewood. Now, is that something that would make you afraid? I mean, just picture in your mind a smoldering, I get this word out of my mouth, a smoldering stub of firewood. firewood. So that's something that's dying out, right? It's something that's weak. It's something that's helpless. I mean, that's not something that causes your heart to stop in fear when you think about that, right? And so God was giving him a totally different picture of these, this army that was coming against him. <clears throat> Excuse me. But then the Lord doesn't ignore the facts. Um, he states the facts of what the enemy actually plans to do. He wasn't ignorant of them. Uh, but along with the facts, he gave his perspective. And he's telling them, this situation is going to change. All right, let's look at verse 5. Aram and Ephraim and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. So there you have the facts. Yet, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not happen. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only risen. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. I'm just, I'm emphasizing only, because he's basically diminishing, trying to diminish in, in Ahaz's heart, in the people's heart. Like these guys, compared to God, they're nothing. So let's look at it from God's perspective. <clears throat> then he admonishes him. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Then God asked Ahaz to do something really interesting. He asked him to ask for something. He asked Ahaz to ask for a sign. Verse 10, again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest heights or in the highest I mean, the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahab gets all religious. Um, Ahab, Isaiah points out that his response, his religious response, really tries God's patience. Verse 12, but Ahab said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans Will you try the patience of my God also? I think that's almost kind of funny. You know, he says, you're trying my patience by trying to tell me that I shouldn't ask you to ask for something. So, um, and so what does he say? So he says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, Emmanuel means God with us. So this is really a wonderful promise of the coming Messiah that he's being given. And so I just want you to see how God operated in this whole story of Ahaz. So first of all, he tells him, don't be afraid. And then he tries to get Ahaz to see things from his perspective with eyes of faith, right? And then he asks him to ask for something. He wanted him to ask for something that God himself wanted to bring about. So God wanted to bring something about. He says, come on, ask. Will you please ask? But anyways, he didn't. But years later, there was an 84-year-old widow named Anna, who I'm pretty sure this is probably what she was asking the Lord for. Her husband had died after only seven years of marriage, and she spent day and night, it says she was in the temple, worshiping, fasting, and praying. So probably more than 50 years. And it appears that she was praying for something that God had revealed in his word because she was looking for the coming Messiah. Who knows, she may have read these very words um, about the virgin giving birth to a son and him being called Emmanuel, God with us, which was a picture of the Messiah. And so she was longing and praying for the redemption that would come through this Emmanuel, this Messiah. And I think that's why she immediately recognized the infant Jesus when Joseph and Mary brought, brought Jesus into the temple. In Luke 2.38, it says, coming up to Joseph and Mary at that very moment, Anna gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to what? To the redemption of Jerusalem. So sometimes intercessors may pray for a really long time for God to do the things that they see in his word. And when they're asking for God to do the things that he said would happen. So I'm like, wow. Um, Wow, that's really something. And can we see how Anna was partnering with God to bring about what he had already said that he was going to do? And I believe in the same way that God wants us to do that, that he wants us to partner with him, that he wants us to look at things in his word and, and things, yes, for our personal life, for our families, but also for what he says is going to happen in Israel, what he says is going to happen in the world. We're living in a really amazing time right now. And so we can link in and we can begin to you know, find things in God's word and intercede for the things that he's already said that, he's, that he wants to do, that he's planning to do. And then we can be working with him to see his kingdom come on earth and his will being done here as it is in heaven. Amen. Um, some call this prophetic intercession, and that's what James Gold really talks about in his book. I was really encouraged by this book I recommended, if you want to ask me about it later. Um, but we could simplify it, because um, maybe prophetic intercessor sounds like something like, oh, that sounds like something that only super saints do or something. But um, if we simplify it, we could just say it's taking God's word and praying it back to him. Let's look at Daniel. Um, here's an example of somebody who did that. Daniel is a man who prayed God's word back to him. He was asking God to do the things that he had already said he was going to do. Daniel 9. 
Verse 1, in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from what? From the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, so he had read it, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So Daniel was reading the word, and he read about something that God said would happen. So what did he do? He began to pray, those, pray for those very things to happen. Verse 3, so I turned to the Lord God, and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition, fasting and in sackcloth and ashes, down to verse 20. While I was still speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, that's an angel, came to him in swift flight. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I've come to tell you. There again is a picture of angels hearkening to the voice of, the, the voice of God's word, right? So Daniel could have looked at those scriptures about the desolation of the, of the devastation of Jerusalem ending and said, ah, great, it looks like our captivity is about to end and then gone on with his day, right? But he didn't. Instead, he began to pray for what God said that he was going to do in his word. So really, it appears that God really wants to partner with us in order to give birth to the things that he has spoken. He wants us to agree, to agree with him concerning what he said in his word and to pray for those very things that he already wants to do. I think that's pretty amazing that he's calling us to do that. We have another example um, from David. In 2 Samuel 7, we see David asking the Lord to do what he had just promised to do through the prophet Nathan. So Nathan prophesies in um, verse 9 of chapter 7. He says, now I will make your name great. I'm, I'm just catching some parts of his, of his prophetic word here. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them no longer disturbed. The Lord declares to you, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. And he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now, David could have just said, thanks, that's an awesome word, and went about his day, right? But nope, what did he do? He proceeded to pray back to God just what the things that he had just prophesied that he was already going to do. Verse 25, and now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised so that your name will be great forever. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage. Remember we said about having confidence when you pray God's word? So your servant has found courage to pray this to you in prayer. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy. You have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. Sovereign Lord, um, for you, sovereign Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. So... Yep, there David is, just asking God to do what he had just said he would do. 
Along the same theme of asking what God has said he will do um, is um, Isaiah in the book of, um, in the 62nd chapter also challenges us to remind the Lord. So that's along the same lines, right? To remind the Lord. <clears throat> in other words, remind him of what he has already spoken in his word. Verse 6 says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. So this speaks of intercessors. Often the Bible when it's talking about watchmen. All day and all night, they never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, us, right? Take no rest for yourselves. In other words, keep on reminding him. And give him no rest until, until the answer comes, right? Until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. In his book, Prophetic Intercessor, I just want to read um, one of the things that he said about this passage of scripture. It's from page 110. He said, what does Isaiah mean to remind the Lord? Does the Lord have amnesia? Has he forgotten what he said he would do? No, of course not. He has simply determined not to do this task alone. It is the blessed mystery of being a co-laborer with Christ that God is looking for a people on earth who will come into agreement with his plans. Oh, Lord, let us do that. Let us be in agreement with your plans. And you know what? When we immerse ourselves in God's word, we're going to get fresh revelation of what he wants to do in the earth, right? We're going to get fresh revelation of how he wants to pray. And that's going to help us so that we can... we can. Because how can we ask him for what he wants to do unless we know what he wants to do, right? So knowing what he wants to do is going to come basically from two sources. One is his word, right? And the other is things that he speaks personally to our heart, things he gives us revelation on as we're reading his word or as we're praying. And then we can ask him to do those things that he wants to do. God wants to heal people. He wants to set people free. He wants to save people, right? The Bible says that he isn't willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So when we know his word, then we can know what to ask him to do. He has given us a great promise in Jeremiah 1.12. He said, I am watching over my word to perform it. So if we're praying his word, we can have the confidence that God is actually watching over that to bring it about, to perform it. So joining the word and prayer is really a powerful way to pray. Um, I want to read you another quote from this book. Um, this is from page 108. He says, a major missing element in the experience of the word of God is praying the word back to God. Prayer is a force that revitalizes and activates God's word with the resulting answers, sometimes dramatic ones, actually helping to bring about God's purposes on earth. One of the first steps in acting on God's word is asking God what he wants. It is the ancient art of reminding God of his word. In order to remind God of his word, we must know it intimately. This precious book of promises is as essential to prayer as oxygen and nourishment are to health. So 
after kind of meditating and thinking about, you know, all these things, it's like John 15, 7 takes on a whole new meaning. And that's where Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you. This is, and this is something we can all do. You know, God wants us to do it. So let's ask him, um, let's ask him. Let's ask God to do what he already wants to do in our lives, in our state, in our workplaces, you know, in our community, in unreached cities. Come with us. Pray in an unreached city with us. <laughs> we don't have to be super saints to do this. Um, this is actually for normal people. I just want to say that sometimes people even think about what we do, and it's like, oh, I could never do that. Well, actually, you can we take just normal people with us all the time. And, and we're normal people too. And we have all of our flaws. We make mistakes. But you know what? Um, God isn't asking us to be perfect to pray his word. We're all unique. We don't have to try to be like someone else. We don't have to try to pray like someone else. Um, get into God's word and pray it back to him in your own style. Pray for the things that God is bringing alive in your own hearts and the visions and the you know, the things that he's given you to the, the sphere that, that you're walking in. Ask him to, to do those things in that sphere. And then we can cooperate with God. He wants us to cooperate with him. So God wants to cooperate with us in order to bring about his purposes on the earth. And so as we are looking at, like, the facts, the things around us, that we see with our eyes, the circumstances around us, you know, whether that's in our family or in our nation, let's mix it with faith and pray that God will do what he already wants to do and not be like the eight spies in Numbers 13 and 14 um, because they brought back a bad report based on what their eyes saw. They didn't see things from God's perspective. Hebrews 4.2 said they didn't mix it with faith. Instead, they responded in fear and we want to be like the eight spies. And what did they say? They saw the very same thing. Well, first of all, let's look at what the, I'm sorry. Let's look at what the eight spies, what they said that they saw in their report first. Okay, so this is Numbers 13, verse 22. So they came back and they said what they saw. It does flow with milk and honey, but the people who live there are powerful and the city's fortified and very large. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. The land devours those living in it. All the people are of great size. So because they didn't mix faith with what they saw, they brought back that bad report. However, there were two other spies, and that was Joshua and Caleb, and they saw the very same things, but this is what they said. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. The land is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us, so do not be afraid. And so... Those were two hugely different ways of looking at the facts, right? And so the eight said, the land devours those living in it. And the two said, Joshua and Caleb, don't be afraid of the people in the land because we will devour them. 
So as we're facing things that may look like they're insurmountable problems, you know, whether it's in our personal life or in our nation, let's really ask God for what his perspective on it and then use his, his powerful word to pray for it. So let's hear, you know, as we think about our nation and we're coming to the 4th of July, lots of things are happening in our nation. And so it's like, Lord, give us your prophetic picture of what you want to do in our land and help us, help us to pray that for our nation, that we can pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done in our land as it is in heaven. I love what Charles Cap says. Um, he, he's talking about this passage of scripture in Numbers. He says, God was trying to get his people to mix faith with his words, but they didn't do it, did they? So he said, the tongue is the mixer. Ooh, that's interesting, huh? The tongue is the mixer. You mix faith with the word of God by saying what God said. And so I want to take that even a step further, that we would not only say what God says, but we would pray what God says and say his word back to him, asking him to do what he already wants to do. John 16, 24 makes it clear that God wants us to ask. He said, ask and you will receive, that your joy may be made complete. And you know, God longs to do a lot of things in our lives and our nations. But the question is, are we willing to ask him? And will we ask him according to his perspective and mix it with faith, the things even that we see around us? And so I just want to pray for us and ask that God will help us to really take a hold of this. And I'm praying for myself too, you know. Um, I continually see my need to do this. I'm just like, just like all of you, even though I just got done preaching it to you. So, um, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for your mighty, powerful word. And Lord, we ask that you will help us to ask for the things that you already want to do, Lord God, that that we will be your servants, Lord. We will take a hold of your purposes, Lord, and that we will see your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives and in the world around us. Father, in the name of Jesus, and we just thank you that as we speak your word, your word will achieve the purpose for which you sent it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So much good word there, Vicky. Thank you so much for sharing us with uh, that with us. And uh, I got good news for you. You can hear it again. I'm gonna listen to that again. <laughs> and uh, we I can do fast. it by video or audio. You know, and you can find the way to do that in our announcements, like with the audio too. John works with that each week to get it so that we can want, listen to it on our way to work or whatever we're doing. So, hallelujah, thank you. But also, we're going to cut the video now, or the live stream, I mean, 